Well, good morning. Um, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Mark Leggett. Uh, my wife and I and two of my three children uh, have been attending here at Mission View since the end of September. Um, prior to that, we were living down in the Dover area. I was actually uh, pastoring a church down there for five years until the Lord uh, moved us away from that and moved us back up this way. Um, and so um, we've been coming here and we've been excited to be here. And this morning I have the privilege of bringing the word of God to you. And obviously, having been a pastor for five years, I understand the responsibility that goes with that and the seriousness of the work. And I pray that this morning that as we go through the scriptures that, um, that you will be lifted up. And the reason I'm here this morning is twofold. One, um, because Steve and Lee are on vacation for the next couple of weeks. Uh, they are celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary. And while they're away, I would just ask that all of you would keep them uh, in your prayers, lift them up, uh, and specifically that the Lord would use this as a time of refreshing. Um, Steve, being a pastor, uh, has a lot of weight on his shoulders. He cares very deeply about each and every one of us, and he cares about our walk with Christ. He cares when we hurt, and so that weighs heavily on a pastor I know from experience. And so pray that this would be a time of refreshing for him and a time of just connecting for he and Lee together. And the other reason I'm up here this morning is because Evan Miller, being originally scheduled to preach today, came down with mono. Uh, and the doctor told him that even though he was feeling better, he would not be able to preach, that, he, that that would be too much and he shouldn't do it. So Steve called and asked if I would be able to do this. Um, I was very happy to... Uh, to say yes. It's been about eight months since I've been in uh, that. It's been about eight months since I've had the opportunity to actually preach. Uh, so uh, we'll see how long this goes, but I'll try to keep it to the time allotted to me. Um, but when Steve asked me to preach this morning, he asked me to continue on in the study of the unlikely heroes, those unlikely heroes that are found in Hebrews that Steve has been preaching on. And in Hebrews, the point that the author makes at the end of chapter 10 and moving into chapter 11 is that uh, those that he was writing to needed to persevere. And so we need to persevere. And the author said that the way that we need to do that, and the entire point of uh, chapter 11 and going forward beyond that, is that we are to persevere by faith. And that's why the author gave this list of heroes of the faith in chapter 11. And so that's the list of examples that Steve has been preaching through, these heroes of the faith who show us what it means to persevere in their walk with Christ. And so this morning, as we continue on, we come to verse 32. And in verse 32, the author begins to sum up what he's been saying. He begins to bring it to a close, rather. And he, he, he lists several more examples of heroes of the faith. But in this case, he doesn't give... Um, specific detail about each one. Rather, he just goes into some general statements about it. So let, let me read this for you. Uh, Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 34, says this. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, 
Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. As the text says, the author would run out of time if he continued on this path of telling of all these examples of faith, especially if he continued to tell the stories of these specific men listed in verse 32. So as I said, he just speaks generally of what they did. They conquered kingdoms. They were made strong out of weakness. But the author lists these names, not simply to bring it to a close, but I believe that he lists these names to drive home the point that we have numerous examples of faith to look at as we seek in our walk with Christ to persevere. And while the author was not able to go in detail on these men, we're going to do that this morning. We're not going to do it with all these men, but as you see in your handout that you got when you came in, we're going to cover Gideon and Barak. And their stories are found in the book of Judges. And even with just covering these two men, time would fail me if I attempted to cover everything that we find in the scriptures about these men and the lessons that we can learn from them. Because their stories span five chapters in the book of Judges, chapters four to eight. And so this week, as you leave here and as you go from here and as you go throughout your week, I would encourage you to read those chapters and get an even deeper sense of what God was teaching through those stories. But this morning, I'll just attempt to give you some of the basics of what went on in these men's lives and show how these two unlikely heroes persevered in their faith in the face of overwhelming odds. And so I'll somewhat compare and contrast these two men, and then I will give you four faith principles that I see in this text. And hopefully we'll walk away this morning encouraged to persevere in our own walk with Jesus as we follow their examples of faith. So let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, that you've given us not only this list of men in Hebrews, but that we can look back to your Old Testament and see what it is that, that they did. Lord, not on their own, not in their own power, but by your power. And Lord, I pray that this, this morning that you would guide and direct me. Lord, that my words would be clear and that you would, Lord, use me for your glory and your not honor and not for my own. Lord, I pray for each one who is here that you would guide and direct them as they think on these things, not only this morning, but as they go throughout their week. And Lord, may we all, Lord, be changed this morning because of your word. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, the stories of Gideon and Barak are found in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we find a repeated pattern going on with the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. The, the nation of Israel, although they were instructed how to live, they would forsake God. And they would do that by sinning against him. They, as over and over, the book of Judges says they did what was right in their own sight, or they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God would then punish them 
And after a time, they would cry out to God for deliverance. And God, in his grace, would deliver them. And the nation would enjoy a period of rest, a period of peace. And then they would do it all over again, turning back to their sin. And they weren't just in this repeated cycle during this time of their history. They were actually on a downward spiral. It was getting worse and worse. And yet, God continued to be faithful to his covenant. And so Barak and Gideon are two of the deliverers that God sent when Israel would cry out to him. And Barak comes first in the book of Judges. So we're going to look at him real quickly first. And the story begins in Judges 4.1. Let me turn there. This is how the story begins. Judges 4.1 says this. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and because of that, God allowed them to be oppressed by the king of Canaan, a man named Jabin, and not only the king, but also his commander, Sisera. And this Sisera, the commander of the army, had a powerful army. He had 900 iron chariots, and that was like the technology of the day. He was a very powerful commander. It would be like having, uh, being a, a nation that was nuclear, nearly unstoppable. And we're told in Judges 4.3 that this Sisera, this commander of the army, had oppressed Israel for 20 years. And so, of course, after 20 years, the Israelites cried out to God for deliverance. And this is where the story of Barak begins. Verses 4 to 7 says this. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abid Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali, and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and his chariots and his, ar- and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. And so here we have this woman named Deborah who was judging Israel at the time. The nation of Israel was a theocracy. They were not ruled by a king yet. And yet God had given them judges who would help them decide in cases between one another. And Deborah was one of those judges. But she was not only a judge, she was also a prophetess, a mouthpiece for God. And so she called Barak and told him that God commanded him to gather this army and go out and fight against Sisera. And the text says that God would give the victory. And and this... Barak decides to obey, but he, and I didn't read this, but in verse 8, he goes on and he says, I'll do it on one condition, Deborah, that you go with me. And so she did, and they gathered an army. And so this Barak is obviously a military commander. He's known as a commander of the army because these 10,000 troops fall in behind him without question. And he goes without question, ready and willing to fight this battle. 
Now, even though he does all that, we can't miss the reality that Sisera had been oppressing Israel for 20 years, and Barak had not done anything up until that time. 20 years he waited doing nothing. And while he was going to gather this army of 10,000, the reality is that 10,000 troops was nothing compared to an army comprised of 900 iron chariots in addition to all the other troops that they would have had. While Barak was a mighty warrior, we see his faith in that he went and gathered the army to fight. And faith, as described in Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Barak hoped for the deliverance from the oppression of Sisera and the king of Canaan. And God had given him that assurance through Deborah, telling him that he would have the victory. And although the odds were stacked against them, although there certainly Barak could not see how the victory would come about, fighting against 900 iron chariots, let alone the rest of the troops, he believed God. He had conviction of that thing that he could not see, how they would have the victory. He believed what God had promised, that God would deliver Israel from that oppression. And so we see his faith in that he went out against Sisera in the mighty army. And so this is what happens. Sisera hears that it's going to happen, that, that Barak has gathered this army. So Sisera comes out with his troops, with his 900 iron chariots, and goes right where God said he would go, to the river Kishon, to that area. And in Judges 4, 14 to 15, it says, And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. Barak had great faith that led him to do what God called him to do in spite of the overwhelming circumstances. And the victory was all from God. The Lord routed Sisera. That's not only what is said in what I just read, but it's also what comes in chapter 5, where Deborah and Barak sing a song of victory and ascribe the victory to God himself. And so that's real quickly the story of Barak, um, a mighty warrior, a commander of Israel's army who obeyed God's call to fight against the enemy of Israel. And we're told at the end of chapter 5 that after the victory, Israel enjoyed a period of rest for 40 years. And for 40 years, they had this rest. And then we come to chapter 6, where we find the story of Gideon. And we find Israel repeating the pattern once again. Judges 6, verses 1 to 6, says this. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because Midian, because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains, in the caves, in the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. 
For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable. And they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. I mean, can you imagine? It was bad enough being under the rule of a Canaanite king, but now they're facing this oppression by Midian who would come in and overwhelm the Israelites just by sheer numbers. They would come in and take over and take everything. The Israelites would have to go and hide in caves in the mountains. It had to have been a horrible time for the people of Israel. I mean, think about it. In the story of Barak, they, they were oppressed by Canaan, by the king of Canaan for 20 years before anything happened, before they cried out to God. But in what I just read, it was just seven years of oppression by Midian that they were ready to cry out to God for help, to turn back to him. And that's what they did. They cried out to God. And so God sent them a deliverer, a deliverer named Gideon. Now, Gideon was much different from Barak. Gideon was not an army commander. He was not bold and mighty. Rather, we'll see in the story that he was just the opposite. He was cautious. He was uncertain. He was weak. When we first meet Gideon in verses 11 to 12 of chapter 6, then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. O valiant warrior. Gideon hears all this. And then he looks at this angel of the Lord and says, what are you talking about? The Lord is with us? Can you not see what is happening to us? Don't you see the Midianites coming in and taking everything? Is the Lord really with us, he says? And the story continues in verse 14. The Lord looked at him and said, go in this, your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. So what do we learn about Gideon? From this beginning of his story, we learn that he was fearful of the Midianites. He's beating out wheat, but he was in a wine press. He was hiding so that, Gideon, so that the Midianites would not take what he had. He believes that God is not with them. He's, he's, he's afraid because God has left them in his eyes. He sees himself as weak and unable to save Israel. I'm from, I'm from the smallest clan, the weakest clan in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my family. I'm nobody. And even after the angel of the Lord assures him that he will have victory, he says, Lord, I need proof. And so we see that 
Gideon is no Barak. Actually, even after this proof, he asked two more times later in the story for proof again that he would defeat Midian. So Gideon is no Barak. And yet we'll see later in the story that Gideon is as much a man of faith as Barak is. Because ultimately, Gideon will go and fight the Midianites. But before we get to that part of the story, I want to give us our first faith principle this morning. That first faith principle is that faith looks different in different people. And I think that that's very important for us to understand because it's so easy for us to compare ourselves to one another and to others. But faith looks different in different people. I mean, you can look at someone and assume oh, they can't have faith. Look at how they are. They, they won't do anything that, that's obvious that the Lord wants them to do. They're too cautious. And yet we can't assume that. Don't assume that others are more spiritual than you because they are mighty or bold, that they're confident. Don't assume because someone is willing to go to the missionary field and comes up there and tells a story of how one day the Lord laid on their heart, they heard the, 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 the verse from Isaiah, whom shall we send, send me, and they get up and they leave their, all their family and everything that they have and they go to the mission field, to some place where it's remote and there's no roads, and they walk to different villages and preach the gospel. Don't think because they do that and you won't. Don't think that that means that somehow they have faith and you don't. The reality is God uses people with different temper temperaments, different skills, different personalities, and he uses them in different ways, and he does that for his glory. I was thinking even about churches. I was talking to Corey this morning about how I was so, so happy when I started coming here to hear that Mission View prayed for other local churches. They may do things differently. They may have a different focus of ministry. And yet, just like individuals have different, their faith looks different in each one of them. So it looks different in different churches because God has called each one to do something different for his glory. And so that's faith principle number one. That faith looks different in different people. But getting back to the story of Gideon, Gideon had asked for proof that it was really, you know, a word from the Lord, and the Lord was gracious to him and gave him that proof. And it was at that point Gideon realized this isn't just an angel of the Lord. This isn't just some messenger from God. This is God himself. This was actually a theophany. A theophany is, a, is an appearance of Christ before his incarnation, before he came to this world. And so Gideon was fearful that he was going to die because he had seen the Lord face to face. And yet God assured him, you won't die. And he instructed Gideon to go. And before he defeated the Midianites, he wanted him to tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherahs. He wanted Gideon to destroy the, the things that were used in the worship of false gods by not only Gideon's own family, his father and his family, but also all of the people of the city. And so Gideon did. But while Gideon obeyed the Lord and did that, he did it by night because he was afraid. And so again, we see this contrast between Barak and Gideon. Barak went and immediately obeyed the Lord and went and gathered the army, but Gideon was fearful even as he was following and doing the will of God. And he had no reason to be afraid. He had just seen the Lord face to face and did not die. He had been assured by God that he would have victory. He had no reason to be afraid. 
And yet, even though he was, he was not faithless. He did what the Lord asked. And I hope that encourages, encourages you this morning. If you know that God has called you to do something and you're doing it, and yet you're afraid. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, as a man said to Jesus. Faith looks different in different people. God can still use you even in your fear. Well, after that episode, the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. He gathered an army from the tribes of Israel. And once again, Gideon asked for a sign. This is that story of Gideon putting out the fleece. And the first time he says, Lord, if, if it would be, if, if this is really from you, let the fleece be wet with dew in the morning and let all the ground be dry. And that's exactly what happened. And yet Gideon was still not convinced. That was not enough for him. And in, in Judges 6.39, it says, Then Gideon said to the Lord, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And the next morning, the fleece was dry, but the ground was wet with dew. And as we consider how Gideon kept requesting proof from God, we cannot miss the grace of God in all of this. I mean, we can read a story like this and be frustrated with Gideon. Like, Gideon, really? I mean, how much more proof do you need? God spoke to you directly. He appeared to you. And you keep asking for proof, and he keeps giving it to you. And yet, we see that God was willing to accommodate him. We look at a passage like 1 Corinthians um, one twenty-two, where... Paul says the Jews asked for signs. And that was not a statement made and hey, they really want to know that this is that this Jesus is God. No, they were faithless. And yet in this case with Gideon asking over and over, there's no hint that God is offended, that God is irritated with them. It's a reminder from Psalm 103, 13 to 14 that says as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. That's the God whom we serve. There's a song we sang, oh, how he loves us. He loves us even as we're weak. We may be quick to judge Gideon as faithless, but it's clear that Gideon feared God. His attitude was much different than the Jews of Jesus' day. Gideon feared God. He had faith in God. The Jews saw miracles by Jesus and kept asking for more signs. It wasn't that they wanted to be certain of God's will. They didn't want to believe Jesus was God. They rejected it, and that's where Gideon and the Jews were different. We know that Gideon had faith in God not only because he did what he did, but because God was patient with him and gave him all the assurances that he needed. And that brings us to our second faith principle, which is faith listens to God's word. Today, we obviously have the benefit of having the completed scriptures, Old and New Testament. We have the written word of God available to us. But Gideon didn't have that. He had the word of God coming directly to him. And I don't know exactly how that was. I don't think that every time that we read that God spoke to him, that it was that person before him, that angel of the Lord before him. And 
I believe that the reason that Gideon kept asking for more and more proof was because he wanted to make sure that it was indeed a word from God. He didn't want to be duped by an imposter, by the enemy who likes to be a counterfeit and call us to do things that go against God's will. And so Gideon kept asking for proof. And now back in the story of Barak, he was also concerned with following God's word. That's why he wanted Deborah to go with him into battle. Not because he wanted her to fight alongside of him, but because Deborah was a prophetess of God. She is the one who had the word of God. And so he wanted her with him as they went into battle. And he didn't need a bunch of proof that Deborah was speaking God's true word because she had already been confirmed as a true prophetess. And for both of them, both of these men, their faith was shown in their obedience to God's word, which is really simply obedience to God himself. They listened to God. And that same principle obviously applies to us today. And we have the written word. We have it here for us in so many ways. We have it written. We have it in print. We have it electronically. We have it at our fingertips all the time. And we need to follow it. And if we're going to follow it, then we need to be taking it in regularly. I was at a conference yesterday, and one of the men who spoke said, if you're not taking in the word and eating upon the word of God regularly, you will be spiritually anorexic. We need to take it in by reading it, by studying it, by listening to others who proclaim it and teach it. And then like Gideon, we need to seek confirmation that we are understanding it correctly. We should seek confirmation through prayer and through other believers to make sure our understanding is correct. There is much that the Word has to say, and it tells us everything we need for life and godliness. However, it doesn't tell us exactly what step to take next. The Word of God does not say, Mark, you're going to be in Dover for five years, and then I'm going to move you out of that pastoral ministry and move you to Mission View Church to do whatever I have for you. It doesn't say you should marry this person or that person. You should go into this ministry or that ministry. It doesn't even say you should go into the mission field or you should stay here and pray for those who are there. And so we need to seek confirmation through prayer. We need to seek confirmation through the counsel of other believers so that we can be certain that what we believe the Lord is showing us through our circumstances, through our own study of the word, that it is truly his will. And for some of us, sometimes we'll have those situations where we need to make a decision. We'll be like a bay rock and we'll go. Someone, some of you may just one day get up and say, I'm going to Cambodia. Others of you may say, you know, I feel like the Lord's calling me to do this ministry, but I'm not real sure. And you'll be hesitant and you'll take your time and you'll pray and you'll wait and you'll pray and you'll wait. And that's okay because faith looks different in different people. And so we need to make sure that however we go about it, that we are following God's word, that we're listening to God and what he has given us in his word. Well, getting back to the story of Gideon, Gideon went forward and he gathered this army. He gathered an army of 32,000. And yet, remember, the Midianites were too numerous to count. He gathered this army, and it's, a, you know, it's more than what Barak had. He only had 10,000. Gideon's got 32,000, but yet the Lord looks at Gideon and says, that's way too many. 
I cannot defeat Midian with that many because the Israelites will boast in themselves that they achieved their own victory. And so God tells Gideon, let everyone know that if they're afraid and trembling that they can go home. And we see great faith in Gideon that he does just that. I think he probably didn't expect the outcome because 22,000 of his troops said, I'm scared and I'm leaving. So he's left with 10,000. And yet that 10,000 was still too many. And, and God says to Gideon, that's, that's still too many. And he says, I'm going to separate them. And he separated them by how they drank. If they lapped water, they were in one group. If they lapped with their tongue, they were in one group. If they knelt down to drink, they were in another. And so he separated them. And Judges 7, 7 says, And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. I mean, 300 men against an army too numerous to count. That's absolutely, it's insanity. It's crazy. And yet Gideon, in great faith, sends the other men home and is there with 300. And that night, Gideon is told by the Lord that it's time. It's time to go fight against them. And God, in his wonderful grace, at that point says, Gideon, if you're afraid, I've got some assurance for you. Go down to the camp of the Midianites and take your servant with you, and you will be certain that you will have victory. And God, in his great providence, setting all this up, Gideon and his servant go down to the camp of the Midianites to hear what's going on. And at that very moment, there's a Midianite who's telling a story of a dream. And in this dream, there's this loaf of barley bread that tumbles into the camp of the Midianites, and it hits a tent, and the tent falls flat and flips over. And the other Midianite who's hearing this interprets it and says, this is none other than the sword of Gideon. God is with him and we are going to be defeated. Can you imagine you walk down and you hear that? You got 300 men and you say, hallelujah, we've got victory. And Gideon goes back and he's excited and he takes his troops and he splits the 300 men into three groups. And here's his mighty plan. He, God told him, go in the strength of yours and your might. And Gideon, though he was not an army commander, came up with this brilliant plan. He takes 100 of them, sends them this way. He takes 100 of them, sends them that way. And his 100. And they take torches that are covered with clay pots so that the light is hidden. And in their other hand, they take their sword. Oh, wait, no. They take a trumpet. Nothing said about a sword in this text. And they take a trumpet. And they split up and they kind of surround the area to a certain extent. And at the right time, at, at, Gideon's, at Gideon's move, they all break the clay pots. And suddenly there's light shining seemingly all around the camp of the Midianites. And they blow their trumpets and they shout for Gideon and for the Lord. And the Midianites... In their confusion, some having just come off of the watch, it was at the switch of the watch, were coming back to their tents, and others were waking up to this noise and this light, and they began to flee. And in their fleeing, they run into one another, and they can't see, so they begin to fight one another, and the Lord destroys the Midianites by fighting, having them fight against each other. And Gideon and his band of 300 defeat these people who are more numerous than than the, than the sand of the seashore, these people who are more numerous than can be counted. 
Who in their right mind would think that that was a good plan to take 300 men with torches and trumpets against a huge army? A man of faith who trusted in God. And that brings us to our third principle. Faith trusts God in the face of overwhelming odds. We see that clearly in both of these stories as their small armies defeat armies who had oppressed Israel for years. And we know that Gideon did not see himself as strong enough to deliver Israel. And that is exactly the point that God is making through these stories. Paul, we read in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where uh, Paul is speaking. He says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on and he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. Paul, the great apostle, the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament that we look up to and we go, wow, what a great man of faith. He was weak, just like Gideon. If you feel weak and incapable, and yet at the same time you feel like God is calling you to do something, you can be obedient. You can trust that God will give you the victory because that is where your hope lies. It is in God and not in your own strength. Even if you're ministering to someone, Maybe you have someone in the body, a believer who comes to you and says, I need some counsel, I need some help, I need someone to tell me from the word what I should do. Or maybe it's a, an unbeliever that you're speaking with and you're trying to proclaim Christ to them and you just feel completely inadequate. And you stumble over your words and you walk away from that experience and you think, Lord, I completely failed you. I don't even know what I was saying. I didn't even know what words, what scriptures to bring up. You can bet that those are the times that the Lord is most likely to use you. As a pastor preaching for five years, there were so many times that I would get done preaching and I would go and sit down and I would almost cry because I felt like I was horrible in the pulpit, that I didn't bring any words that were of use to anyone, that I didn't feel any movement of the Spirit using me, and that what I had to say was just terrible that I just read from my notes. And you know, it was in those times that the Lord moved most mightily in the hearts of people, whether it was one or two. And people would come up to me and say, Mark, the Lord used you so great. That was a great message. I can't believe you spoke just to what I needed. And I'd look at him and go, that wasn't me. I was weak. God can use us even in our weakness. That's where our hope lies. And if you find that you receive a victory in a situation like that, no matter what it might be, give glory to God. Praise Him because He is the one who gives the victory through the weak vessels such as us. And really, that's the last faith principle I want to give. It was interesting as I was going through these stories, thinking about, okay, I need to preach on heroes of the faith. I need to preach on these two men and what they did. And I kept going back to these, these stories and looking at it and saying, but God did it. But God did it. But God did it. How am I supposed to preach about these men when it was all of God? And then I realized that's the point. It was God. And he's the one that we look to. As we look at these men as examples of faith, we don't look simply to them. But we look to the faith, to the God in whom they had faith. 
because it is he who gave the victory, even in the midst of their weakness, even in the face of overwhelming odds. And so because of that, we are to give glory to God in those situations. And that's just what Barak and Gideon did. They gave glory to God. Barak in Judges 5, as I said, he and Deborah sing a song of victory and they ascribe all the victory to God. Yes, God used them, but they understood that it was God who gave the victory. Gideon praised God even before the victory. When he went down into the camp of the Midianites and he heard what was said, we're told in Judges 7.15, he bowed in worship. He worshiped him right then and there even before the victory. And so when God uses you or when God simply gives you assurance, bow to him in worship. Don't seek glory for yourself in ministry, but give him all the glory. And even this morning, even if this morning you come here and you think, you know what, I haven't been used by God. I've never been used by God. Or you think, I've never been used, I haven't been used by God lately. You still have reason to worship. You have reason to worship because God has given you a greater victory than any victory over any human enemy that you could possibly come up against. He's given you victory over something greater than even a victory over cancer, victory over something in your life that you thought was insurmountable. He's given you an even greater victory than that. He's given you victory over sin and death through his son, Jesus Christ. The battles that Gideon and Barak faced, the victories that they won, only gave Israel peace for a limited time. Only gave them rest for a short time. Only gave them victory over their sin for a time. And then they would go back to it. But these stories that we find in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the people of God, Barak and Gideon, these examples of faith, were only examples that were to point us ahead to something greater point us ahead to the victory that would be won in Jesus Christ. God has provided us victory not only for the here and now, but for all of eternity. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. And I know that we know that and we hear that over and over again. But if you really stop and think about that, how Israel kept going back to their sin and God kept punishing them. God has given us victory in Jesus Christ over sin and he does not punish us any longer and he will not punish us for eternity in hell like we deserve. He won't do that because he has already punished Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus was victorious over the grave and over death when God raised him from the dead three days after he died on that cross. Our Savior is not dead. Our Savior is even right now ruling and reigning from heaven. As a matter of fact, our God is an omniscient God. And that means that God is in every place, entirely in all of his being at every time. So right now, as people are worshiping in other parts of this country, God is there with them. Right now, God is here with us. Our God is ruling and reigning, and he has given us a victory that is greater than any victory that we can read of in the Old Testament scriptures. And may that truth be the truth that causes you to praise God this morning as we sing this last song, as we sing about the oceans and the mighty grace of God. May the truth of God's victory that he has given to us give you hope to walk in faith when you feel weak, give you strength to recognize 
that just because someone seems bolder than you, that God still loves you and has given you victory and will still use you for his glory. And as we leave here this morning, let each one of us be encouraged. Let us not be like the nation of Israel. If you're still in the place that Israel was because you have never turned to Jesus Christ and submitted your life to him and committed your life to him, then I would call you to do that right now because he can give you that victory just like he has given the rest of us that victory. And as we leave here, may we walk in those truths and may we be encouraged to follow the faith of those men who had a faith in a God who is all-powerful and almighty. And may we persevere and bring him glory in all that we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the great hope that is found not only in the stories of the Old Testament, but in what they pointed forward to, into to the faith, to the victory of your son, Jesus Christ, over sin and death. Lord, that they point to a hope that goes beyond this world, beyond our struggles, beyond our physical ailments, beyond our weakness to give in to sin so often. Lord, may, may we be reminded of the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. May we be reminded of the great love that you poured out on us by sending him to be our Savior and our Lord. Lord, may you be glorified in and through our lives, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.